Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. This podcast celebrates storytelling as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, showcasing the talents of my author and narrator friends. I hope you'll hear an artist you love or find your next favorite wordsmith. This is episode 33. One of the things that I that I really enjoyed is, and I wondered if this was true, the character Colleen has a tape recorder and mm-hmm. our forms of communication have clearly changed so much in 50 years. But I love this idea that she would hear her father's voice and he would record something and mail it to her and she would record something and mail it to him. Did that actually happen? Was that part of your family's communication? It was. My father had this idea, bought me a tape recorder and bought me a bunch of tapes so that I could just tape record and mail. We mailed the cassette tapes back and forth and I actually developed a a Southern accent when I was living there. <laughs> my my family would laugh at, you know, that I, that I just, it just happened. Our desire to hear each other's voices is very strong, right? You know, that's different yeah. than a letter to be able to hear your dad's voice for him to, for them at home to hear your voice would be a comfort. I love that you were a chameleon and became sort of developed an accent while you were there. <laughs> This is Eileen Sanchez. We're talking about how her year spent in Louisiana teaching second grade exactly 50 years ago inspired her novel, Freedom Lessons. I loved that it was a weaving together of personal experience and history but that you then chose these different characters to tell that story through. Are you Colleen? I'm Colleen. (laughs) Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about who she is in the story. Uh, Well, Colleen is a, a very young teacher in her second year of teaching and she's from New Jersey and she just landed in Louisiana to live with her husband who was in the army and she was a teacher and she loves libraries and books and kids. Uh, she went into teaching a, in a black school and she went to get library cards for the class to get the applications for the cards. And she was met with some resistance, which really surprised her because they were afraid that she was going to bring her black students into the white library which was an integrated library but they weren't very welcomed so that that's how the story started that's how she started to get into some surprising reactions because she grew up in a in a very different culture and different area of the country so this was 1969 but yes that's where you start in this story is where I think is it's such a great place to begin because she she stumbles into realizing that that the laws of integration have not really 
found their way into these southern districts, into these southern states. And so in the Northeast, it's not that they're not without problems in New Jersey. She talks about issues that are happening in Jersey, but she comes into a completely different level of segregation when she arrives in Louisiana. And that is, you feel her confusion as you're reading. You think, how could that, how could that be? And you explain it, I think, at such a personal level. Like, I really do love I love the interactions that she has with individuals that show you a bigger picture. I think you do that through the whole story. You're, you're coming down to the humanity of these characters to illustrate something systemic, uh, endemic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as it started as a, really as a memoir, but it just, as I was writing, I realized that there I needed to go and find out, well, when did these things happen and what was really the background of it? Because I I didn't understand the history of that area. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to really do some research and found on October 29th, 1969, was the Alexander V. Holmes Supreme Court decision that ended the final, it was final, like, this is it. You must man, you must integrate, desegregate mm-hmm. these schools and or lose federal funds. And when that happened in the story, um, the characters didn't realize that date or impact. They didn't really understand that that's what was the impetus of the overnight closure of the school. So it yeah. was in my research and finding more of the history in the background, I realized that it couldn't be a memoir. It wasn't the whole story. So I needed to go find out more. Yes. And that gets us to your other point of view characters. So you have this really wonderful through the eyes of three different characters. And Colleen is one that you obviously are the closest to, um, as close to your perspective or memoir as you could be, I guess. And then you have... um, I really love Evelyn. <laughs> I think she's tough and she's, uh, she's just really beautifully fleshed out. Like I almost felt like I could, I would recognize her if I ran into her. I liked the way you wrote her, but she represents the perspective of a teacher who's been at the all black school, who has been working within a system of continued segregation. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, I thought she was a great perspective on that. And then your third character is an actual high school student of the time. And I think I read that this this character you fleshed out through some historical reference, a dissertation. Is that right? Yes, a combination of the dissertation and going back to the town uh, to do some research. I actually Mm -hmm. met the principal and I wanted to know more about what she knew and I was looking for school records and they actually looking for the class lists of the students and they were gone there, none of the records from that year were around and mm. she said she didn't know anything about the elementary students but she only knew from her brother's experience he had been a senior that year when mm. she told me about his story I realized that that's who needed to tell the student's point of view, because you just imagine being a a student leader, uh, a football player, 
you know, you're a cheerleader, whatever student leadership positions you have. And then overnight, you don't have those positions anymore. You've, t- you've lost them. Yeah. And that was a pretty important part of the story that I didn't know. I knew the second graders experiences. I knew the elementary students, but mm. the high school students, that was so. Uh, so Frank became the character to tell the story from that point of view. And from the, I had three dissertations that were narrative interviews, the dissertation writers used. So they were almost a first person right, point of right. view from, from those people that had taught or worked or had been students during that same year and their experience. In Louisiana, it's called the crossover, that how mm-hmm. they refer to that year. Uh, and so Frank helps to tell that story. And I think it's something that high school students can really relate to. I've gotten some nice feedback from teachers and even from some students, how they can see themselves. Um, And the children in the story, uh, I I have memories of certain children and they really are represented in the ones that, that took the lead roles in the, in the second grade. And Oh, is that um, right? Yeah, it's just um, a composite of, of children, but truly I, I have strong memories of, of those. Of that time and of teaching those kids. Yeah. Yes. Let's pause right there and listen to a scene from the just-released audiobook. This is from Chapter 13. It's the moment the teachers find out the imminent solution the path to desegregation, the closing and combining of schools. This is from Freedom Lessons, written by Eileen Sanchez, narrated by April Dotty. In the auditorium, the teachers sat in small groups, chattering and speculating about the unexpected meeting. The three visitors and Mr. Peterson strode to the front of the room, and their unsmiling presence had the same effect on the teachers as it did on Colleen's class. Silence filled the space. Colleen noticed that everyone was at the meeting. The secretaries, the custodians, and the cafeteria workers. She turned to look at Evelyn. Every muscle in her body looked tense as she sat ramrod straight, lips in a straight line. Lulu kept wiping her hands on her skirt. A microphone had been set up, but Mr. Peterson didn't need it. His strong voice projected to the back of the auditorium. He welcomed the staff and introduced the superintendent, Mr. James Watson, the president of the parish school board, Mr. Ralph Morrow and the principal of Kettle Creek Schools, Mr. Cornelius Palmer. Teachers and staff, as I announced, this meeting will be brief. Mr. Watson will speak to you, and then I will have a follow-up request. Mr. Watson seemed shorter and older than Colleen remembered, but his voice boomed through the microphone, ensuring that not a word was missed. Good afternoon. Last Friday, I met with officials from the Department of Health, 
Education and Welfare, who informed me, under explicit holdings of this court, the obligation of every school district is to terminate dual school systems at once and to operate, now and hereafter, only unitary schools. That means that the freedom of choice plan we have been operating under is no longer legal. We must close the doors of our Negro schools immediately. He paused and raised his hand to silence the gasps that escaped from the crowd. Starting tomorrow morning, all students, faculty, administrators, secretaries, cooks, and custodians from West Hill schools will be absorbed into the Kettle Creek schools. This involuntary transfer will take place tomorrow, without loss of school time and without loss of any positions. Unable to contain their shock at this news, the staff let out cries of concern. Tomorrow? The new wing just opened this year. You can't close this school. Mr. Peterson stepped back, as if to distance himself from the superintendent and the sudden decision. Mr. Watson didn't respond to the outcry. Once the group settled down, he continued. All the students and staff from West Hill Elementary will report to Kettle Creek Elementary. The students will be transported by bus. I will release you now, and I ask that you not share this information with parents. Leave that task to us. Watson handed the squealing microphone to Mr. Peterson, who turned it off. Teachers and staff, I realize this is a shock. Mr. Peterson spoke slowly, his eyes moving to catch the gaze of each person present. Do not report here tomorrow. The school is closed. Right now, I would like to see each of the teachers for kindergarten through grade five. Teachers, go to your classrooms and collect your personal belongings. All other materials, including your desks and student desks, will be moved if necessary. Please meet Mr. Palmer and me in the Kettle Creek Elementary Cafeteria at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. At that time, we will have further information regarding your assignments. The rest of the staff can please take this time to collect your personal belongings and go home to your families. Tomorrow will be a long day. Mr. Peterson walked away immediately and headed toward his office. The other men left through the side door to the parking lot. The rows of teachers started buzzing. Colleen saw tears on more than one teacher's face. Colleen's mind raced. School closed? Transfer? Where? When she finally collected herself and looked around, Evelyn was gone. Lulu, where's Evelyn? She's gone. Said she doesn't care. Gone to tell the families in her neighborhood. Gone to spread the word. How could they all just move into another school? Colleen would have to start over. She smoothed her dress with a shaking hand. She'd just begun to feel as if she belonged here. She walked to the office to find out what Mr. Peterson wanted. Mrs. Wilson stood behind the counter that separated the office from the entrance. Somehow, 
she managed to make the corners of her mouth turn up. Mr. Peterson can see you next. Are you the one who asked me for keys on your first day? Colleen forced a smile at the memory. I am. Well, honey, Mrs. Wilson shook her head. You just might get those keys at the next place. One of the third grade teachers sidled past, her head lowered. Mrs. Rodriguez, Mr. Peterson called from his doorway. You may come in now. He gestured to the same chair she'd used when he confided the story about Evelyn. There were deep creases in his forehead that she had never noticed before. Well, Mrs. Rodriguez, this will be the last time we can sit here and talk. He leaned back in his chair and took a deep breath. You'll be pleased to know that you will be keeping the 24 students who are in your class. Colleen shifted in her chair, waiting for the butt she could see on his face. It came right away. Some of the classes need to be shared, Mr. Peterson continued. You will have an additional six students from another second-grade class. Six more? Each class will have thirty. There aren't enough classrooms. The weight of this information caused Colleen to slump in her chair. I'll have a classroom? Yes, but not in the main building. Four temporary portables have been moved to the back field. You will have one of those. Your furniture, books, and materials will be moved there by morning. He stood up to escort her out of the office. I'm sure you'll have many questions, but that's all the time I have right now. You're a fine teacher, Mrs. Rodriguez. His face tightened. You're not one of the teachers who have to worry. Is that because I'm white? Tears built behind Colleen's eyes, and her temples throbbed. Colleen paced from one end of the trailer to the other, checking the clock in the bedroom and then in the kitchen. Miguel would be home in an hour. Her heart raced. Finally, she broke down and opened his carton of Marlboros. Her hand shook, and it took several tries to light a cigarette with a flimsy cardboard match. By the time Miguel walked in, she had chain-smoked half the pack. The story poured out of her, from the shock of seeing four men inside her classroom to the announcement of the school closure. Miguel tried to get her to focus on the positive. You have your class? And more. How am I supposed to manage thirty students? She reached for another cigarette. He moved the pack out of her reach. The classroom is air-conditioned, he tried. It's a trailer with no windows. Colleen, I don't know what else to say. Sadness clouded his features, but he opened his arms, inviting her in. At the end, you give us what the freedom lessons are. And number five is it takes individual actions to create social change. Yes. I, I like the way that you have, you've, I think you've really given us an example of that. 
in these in the characters that you've told this story through their point of view because they each in their own ways exact a kind of change in what's happening around them did yeah. you go into the story with these five lessons in your mind as as a as the message you wanted to get across not at all <laughs> i i had to at, at the time when you you know as a author uh, your publicist or your editors are asking you, well, what is your message? And I, I, I had an idea of it, but I hadn't really gelled it. And so I had to really take a long, it took me a long time to really identify what they were. The first one uh, was clear to me, treat others as you would like to be treated, the golden rule. That was that was an easy one. Yes. Um, and I think that was pretty clear to me from the beginning. But really understanding how prejudice is, is taught and learned, that was something that gelled for me when I really started to think about it. And when I looked back at the book and realized, like, what do these characters have in common? They were just so different from each other. So I realized how family played a part for each of the characters, how important family was. And that became one of, of my lessons because that's where you get your identity and your values mm-hmm. from your family. And then the, those values and identity, feelings of identity were very, very similar for all of them. Evelyn and Colleen wanted to be the best teachers they could be. And they were just coming at it from such different places, different experiences. Yes. They had the same goal. For you, what are essential things? What are things that you had to describe to someone? These are the, this is it. This is, this is essential. And it can be as a writer or as a person in general. What do you think for you are the essential things? To truly enjoy every moment. It, it's just so important and not yeah. to be always thinking about what's what I'm going to do next, but to be in the moment. And then I love learning about other people and other cultures. My husband is from another culture, another nationality. Um, just be open to all life has to offer you. So that's what the perennial part is about. Perennials are ever blooming. They stay current with technology and have friends of all ages. So I started with sending cassette tapes to my father and learning how to do all kinds of things on Zoom and the internet and yeah, ever blooming. You can keep up with Eileen on social media in the Facebook group, Prose and the Pandemic. And on her website, you'll find educational resources and conversation starters. Thanks to Kathy L. Murphy of the International Pulpwood Queen and Timber Guys Book Club. She shined her light on freedom lessons and led me to it. And thank you for listening. <laughs>